So while Nash owed half of a million dollars at 23% interest, he chose to pay premiums. Hello and welcome to the Durham Talents channel. My name is Jesse Durham. Welcome to the channel where we dig up buried talents with the infinite banking concept as conceived and described in R. Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. This is another installment in our book review. Today we'll be covering pages 12 and 13, part one in Becoming Your Own Banker. Let's start with Nelson Nash the forester because what nelson relates in these pages is that he learned certain principles from his professional background as a forester he was a forester actually here in north carolina which is really interesting because he lived in birmingham alabama later in his life but what he found out was that forestry much like what he lays out for us in becoming your own banker caused him to think long range you must imagine with me and as he describes how he would need to think 70 years into the future while planning out lots and parcels and plantings and prunings and the lumber and all these different stages and parts of forestry finance it was essentially the idea of thinking long range, planning long range, doing something today like planting a seedling or many seedlings naturally, covering lots and lots of acreage. So that speaks to the capitalization. In my mind, as I read this page, I see Nelson seeming to grasp the ideas, the principles that he lays out so beautifully later in his book about capitalization, that upfront investment of planting seedlings in acres and acres of land, knowing good and well that there would be years, as in decades, before the final results would be realized. So these principles of thinking long range, of not being afraid to capitalize to get this system, to get this entity going, but also he specifically points out that he realized that compound interest was taking place, speaking of forestry, compound interest was taking place and there was no taxation on the buildup. And I think that could be such a subtle, it's so elegantly put, it's, but it's such a subtle point and yet such a strong point. Compound interest, Einstein said it was the eighth wonder of the world. He was a pretty smart guy. So compound interest is taking place, meaning if there's an acre of land with eight trees on it, for example, but there's space enough for 100 trees, if the growth, the compounding, takes place between 8 to 100 or any other number, any other ratio, the point is, is that it's still going to be taxed as an acre of land. Even if it's taxed specifically as lumber land, if there's in a particular area a particular tax treatment for lumber land, well, what's the difference between eight trees per acre or 100 trees per acre? So there's no taxation on the buildup on the compounding when considering forestry finance. So I think those are some great points there. Next, let's consider Nelson, the insurance 
salesman. Now, Nelson had a 30-year experience in insurance sales in the insurance industry prior to this revelation of the infinite banking concept. And what he said, and having an inside view himself, was that most folks simply don't understand the power of dividend-paying whole life insurance. And he would go on to say that that would even include folks at the home office of those same insurance companies. Which means, if we can tie into the title of becoming your own banker. Again, this is putting the individual, this is putting us in the position of the banker. We are at the helm, we are at the steering wheel, we are the ones that should be knowledgeable, directing, and lots of other principles that Nash would espouse in his book. In fact, he would often say that most folks' understanding of life insurance was based off of someone else's misunderstanding of life insurance. So the idea that we need to know and understand the power of dividend-paying whole life insurance, regardless of what our neighbors church members, family members, best friends, parents, regardless of what they know, regardless of what the experts, the gurus, the geniuses, all the way down to home office personnel, we are the ones in charge of becoming our own banker. Us realizing, knowing, using the power of dividend-paying whole life insurance. Now let's talk about Nelson Nash, the real estate investor. So Nash shared a lot of his experience in these pages 12 and 13 about his real estate experience. So what was happening at the time was when everything came together, there was a prime rate, there was a base rate when you put it together. At the time that he's describing, I believe it was 9.5% interest was what he expected to pay on what was approximately $500,000 worth of real estate deals that he had in the works. And he describes what it would be like. It would be some real estate agent finding a deal for you, letting you know about it, you making the down payment, conventionally, commercially financing that. And he even alluded to how the, the paperwork, the particulars would be shuffled off to, to those same professionals as well. And you could be off like he was, spending a month in Europe with his wife Mary and enjoying life. And he said, it's good while it's good. It seemed like there was no end in sight. It was just grow and scale, grow and scale from there. And he points out a couple of things before some drastic changes took place. First, he points out that banks make these loans not based off of anything other than our ability to make payments. Our ability to make payments. So we must meet the, their standard of being able to make payments. So that 9.5 interest or thereabouts that it was, as he described, uh, because he wasn't prime and most people aren't, we're just going to be getting what's normal. It was 9.5. Well, I believe it was 1981, 82. He said that the rate got as high as 23%. Now, remember, 
their Nash was owing half of a million dollars at that time. Imagine what that would be, and you could do some calculating to figure out from inflation and whatnot what that would look like today. But then in the early 80s, half of a million dollars, that was $67,500 a year in interest alone that Nash was not expecting to be paying. These deals have been going on well leading up to this point, but it's like he said, there's not a problem until there's a problem. It's all going to go great until, and then when a situation like this happens, where are the geniuses? That's the terminology he used. Where are those real estate geniuses, the gurus, the experts to be found then? Because their Nash is stuck owing that much. You, The interest alone, $67,500, just an in interest alone, half of a million dollars total. There he is, having personally endorsed this deal. It's renewable every 90 days, and he's personally endorsed this. What do the gurus say then? What do the geniuses say then, he asks, if you can find them. And I, I think that's worth mentioning. He wrote it for a reason, if you can find the geniuses, when it all goes downhill. And then, what are your what are your options? To sell and lose 10 times what you put into the place, like he asked? Well, you'd have to find a fool to sell it to, first of all, is what he said there. And then there you'd be stuck losing everything that you put into it in multiples. Now, another good point that he makes here is that in this experience, he learned that either we are paying interest for using someone else's money, much like he did in this particular real estate deal, or we would forfeit the opportunity to earn on our capital. Otherwise, always interest is being paid. Either we're paying someone else interest to use their money or we're forfeiting the opportunity to earn interest that we otherwise would have. And that's a key point. So let me begin to describe Nash's awakening, as he called it. It actually started a year prior in 1980. He said that there were a series of events that took place. And let's relate those here and just put ourselves in these shoes for a moment. He had his home burglarized. There was a big rise in, in the value of silver at that time. And his home was burglarized. Thankfully, he said, not while he and Mary were there and he was able to get there and clean, clean their place up before she got back. Otherwise, he said she probably wouldn't have come back at all after having seen what was done in such a short time. But it was because of silver. Folks were going in and breaking and stealing silver, china and, and such uh, collectibles, anything to, you know, perhaps like he alluded to, satisfy a drug problem. And that was an issue that took place, I think, immediately of Willie Sutton's law. I mean, how did, how did that perhaps contribute to uh, Nash looking at Willie Sutton, this infamous outlaw who was asked, you know, why are you robbing banks? And he would say, well, because that's where they keep the money. <laughs> so Nash had silver there at the house. Well, that's a principle, you know, that his place was broken into because that's where something valuable 
was. So perhaps that was the genesis of that particular law, that particular principle, the Willie Sutton law. Next, he had a brother in his very early 50s, 52 I think it was, who was playing racquetball with his son, dropped dead, playing right there with his son, heart attack. He said it was hereditary, Nash did, that it was in, in the family. I don't think that uh, his father lived much older than that. I believe it was early 60s. And that stuck out to Nash, obviously, gravely. Um, of course, I believe that makes me, like many of us, think at the mention of someone's graduation, someone passing on, that we come back to the very realization that the product that we ultimately end up building this idea of the infinite banking concept around, the entity, the preferable entity to use, the optimal entity to use a dividend paying whole life insurance policy with a mutual company, is a whole life insurance policy. It provides a death benefit in the event of an untimely early graduation. And such was the, the case with his brother. The next thing that happened was Nash had his second granddaughter was born. It was in Hawaii. And it was just a matter of weeks, I believe it was, that they found out that she had cancer. And he said he didn't even know that babies could have cancer. Now, thankfully, he gave a, a great report of there was a miracle done. She was she was healed and cured of that later on. But at the time, again, remember, let's put ourselves in this time of Nash having his home broken into, being robbed and pillaged and burglarized, his brother dropping dead, playing ball with his son, his granddaughter being diagnosed with cancer. Soon he's going to go through this very, very dire financial stress of owing half of a million dollars at a ridiculous 23% interest rate. And what he says, and why I believe he uses this term of awakening, is that, well, first, one's prayer life can dramatically improve, he said. Uh, going through these situations, he said that blind spots that we may otherwise have are, are brought into view because of hardship. Hardship makes us look and have a different perspective on things. And he said that IBC was beginning to be wrought on his knees in the kneeling position, praying in the early morning hours. I appreciate him sharing that as a person, as an individual, as a fellow believer, I appreciate him sharing that. It's so organic, it's so natural and it's it's lovely in in recognizing the difficulty of the situation it's lovely to hear that that's where these things were beginning to be revealed to him because that's what he said is that he got his answer by the lord telling him you have everything that you need you're only limited by how much you've put into it so here's what he was saying at that time what the lord showed him that he already had at his disposal were three whole life insurance policies with three different companies that he indeed actually had already been paying significant premiums into. And remember, this is before becoming your own banker. He was just paying significant premiums. He was a productive, industrious man. No doubt it would have taken much to replace 
the value, financially speaking, that he was bringing to his home, to his household, and everything that he was doing. So there was a merited need for a significant death benefit. But even so, he realized that in order to get out of this financial mess, that he did indeed have tools wherein he could access capital at interest rates between 5 and 8% in stark contrast to the 23% that the commercial bankers were requiring. Now just think about, again, that volume of interest, just the interest, let alone the principal, that he was looking at paying. And now he's come to the awakened realization that he could access capital that he had systematically set aside and entities that he privately owned and controlled by contract could access his capital at 5 to 8%. And what he realized was that in that regard, knowing what he knew then, realizing what he did then, he just needed to capitalize more to have a larger pool of money that he could access to pay off that debt. Now, this is beautiful, and it's in such stark contrast to what the experts would say, the gurus would say so often. Now, Robert Kiyosaki, if I can interject here, talks often about assets over liabilities. What I would point out is that a whole life policy that's been properly structured with a mutual company that pays a dividend is an appreciating asset. Nash already had this liability of debt. So instead of going right to the debt, he deemed it more important to prioritize capitalizing assets to take care of the liabilities. It's just a really, it's contrary to what the conventional teachings would have us do. And yet that's exactly what it did is he decided and realized that he needed to be paying dramatically larger premiums to policies that he only control, wherein he would have a contractual right to access the capital to do whatever it is he decided. But obviously in this case to tackle this massive, massive problem of this debt that was hanging over him, that was keeping him up at night and making him improve his prayer life. Now, a couple other things that Nash attributed to his awakening was he did realize that he could make changes in his spending patterns and in the way that he was spending money. So he doesn't go into great detail there, but I'm sure that we can all relate that there are definitely times where perhaps we've gotten lax, perhaps we've not been paying attention, perhaps we've been too frivolous with unnecessary things. And he was able to honestly introspect and determine that, yes, he could divert funds uh, in a better way, that he could perhaps cut out frivolous spending. Another thing was that as he realized the true power of dividend-paying whole life insurance, he began teaching others before it was codified even in his book. He just began teaching others 
about what it was that he was doing, practicing privatized banking and how he was going about it. And he said that that tripled his income. And when I read that, I just thought, good for him and good for anybody who can improve what it is they're doing and earning by helping more people. See, prior, if he was being an insurance salesman, it is a worthy profession. It is a worthy industry. When done well, when done right, it is a worthy cause to lovingly account for the risk of an early graduation and provide a death benefit for those that you love, your beneficiaries or heirs, to be able to make sure that there is a tax-free transfer of wealth to accommodate those that you care about. That's a beautiful thing. Now, if you take that a step further and begin seeing the living benefits of what policies this way can do and provide for the owners, then naturally we should see a multiple of the results. So remember, regardless of, and Nash said that regardless of what the neighbors or the family members or the church members or anyone else, the gurus, the geniuses, anyone else is saying, Nelson approached this idea of becoming your own banker with reason, with logic. He said he prayed very much about it. He was being imaginative. So regardless of what was being said, and it does sound contrary for someone owing half of a million dollars at 23% interest to decide to pay premiums, not pay off, not jump right to paying stuff off, but instead to buy something, to buy more life insurance policies, to pay premiums to something else. Yes, but for the specific reason that with private ownership, with good construction, with guaranteed access to capital, I mean, if we can accomplish two things with the same dollars, fund, fuel, pay premiums to a life insurance policy that we only control, and wherein we have a contractual right to access in a known interest environment, known interest environment, and that was very, very contrary to his experience with real estate going from 9% up to 23%. That was outside of his control. Being able to access capital then in a known interest environment and control the repayment and the movement because you're the owner, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So regardless of what others were saying to Nash at the time, regardless of what they would say to you or I at the time, he said by looking at the facts of what whole life insurance is and then just using his own reason and logic and prayer, he spent a lot of time praying about this and I want to, I want to, do right by him and his written work in becoming your own banker to to mention that. And in fact, he ends that particular couple of pages, page 12 and 13, with a verse that I'll read. Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget 
thy children. So Hosea 4, 6, that's a verse that he references to finish out those couple of pages. I think there's a lot there. Again, I can't read that verse that he shared without thinking about the principles that he continues in his book to lay out intergenerational thinking. There's mention here of individuals, but also of their children. Knowledge is mentioned here. So everything that we're reading about. So again, I hope that this is causing you to put yourself in Nash's shoes, to imagine what it would be like making your way through life, doing whatever it is that you're doing, but relate it in this way. Your brother dies, your grandchild has can your baby, your infant grandchild has cancer, your house just got broken into, all your heirloom silver or whatnot was taken out, and of course the place is pillaged, it's, it's an absolute mess. You've got $500,000 that you've personally endorsed, and out of your control, the interest rate just went up to 23% from what you expected to be 9% and a quick deal. Now you can't get rid of it, not without losing 10 times what you put into it. and You'd have to find a fool to sell it to. So put yourselves in Nash's shoes and start looking at... He, he obviously, through prayer and, and introspection, began to see the tools that he did have. He reevaluated them, the life insurance policies that he had, and the contractual right that he had to access capital in them, and then realizing that they were just undercapitalized, even though at that time he was paying significant premium. We'll talk more about that, but he was paying a significant premium at that time before trying to purposefully fund policies in a big way. At that time, he was only doing it for the death benefit, which is admirable. Again, I can't have enough death benefit, personally. I can't have enough. I don't believe you can have enough. And when you think about that, I believe you'll arrive at the same answer. But put our let's put ourselves in Nash's shoes and realize how he got, with logic and reason and prayer, to where he was looking at the tools that he did have access to as a private individual. The control that he still had to be able to fund a private entity that was under his control and just the beauty of realizing how he could use what was already there to tackle this dire situation, this financial debacle that was staring him in the face, keeping him up to the early hours of the morning. So, this has been an absolute pleasure for me. I'm enjoying this book review. I hope that you are reevaluating Nash's book, rereading Nash's book. I would encourage you to as we make our way through this book review. And if anything sticks out to you from this particular episode, I'd love to hear about that in our comment section. And if you'd like to have a conversation about how you could implement Nash's infinite banking concept into your household or your business, your investing, then you can reach me at 828-817-4223 or you can email durhamtalents at gmail.com. This has been an absolute pleasure for me. I look forward to our next conversation. Have a great day. Take care.